All right, well, let's get into our study for today. We're kind of continuing down the pathway here of looking at a biblical response to uh, what I'm looking at historically as uh, a, what's called Gnostic roots. And we've talked about this enough. Probably I don't really have to explain what Gnosticism is, but it comes out of the comes way out of the early uh, origins of the Christian Church. So it goes all the way back into the into the New Testament times as a direct threat to Christianity during the days of maybe somewhat during Jesus's day, but for sure during uh, St. Paul and when the apostles were doing their mission work and particularly writing their uh, letters. And so we'll be in the, go- in the uh, not Gospel of John, but in the uh, Epistle of John, because John himself was, was, uh, was directly uh, dealing with it, and he was trying to help the Christians of his day uh, discern that and steer away from it because Gnosticism was an anti-Christian uh, teaching or philosophy. Yes, sir. Harvard. I'm sorry, can you just repeat one more time what exactly is Gnosticism? So Gnosticism was a, was a, was a belief that was based on uh, the teachings of uh, Plato and Aristotle. And Bob had pointed out to me that there was somebody earlier that had who, do you remember the name of that guy? Nonides was the one that started humanism. Yeah, I'm going to trust that, that what you just said. So, um, so it was a humanistic a humanism is what it was. But it, but see, humanism goes all the way back to uh, those uh, early century kinds of things and has stuck with us because what is the central thought of humanism is is that I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of, of my soul. God is not part of this. God, in fact, is anti that. Because then if God says that he is the God and he is the Lord of the universe and he is the creator and he is the one who uh, we owe our homage to and our existence to, well, you can see where that is a direct collision with humanism. Okay, So humanism as a philosophy, now it's not to say that we aren't human, okay? That's not that's not what it is, but it's just this idea that who at the end of the day who is the one? Is it God or is it me? Now Jesus hit that constantly, right? You know, if you're for me, if you're against me, all those kinds of things that Jesus was talking about. So he didn't say, "Oh, I'm against Plato." He didn't say that. But because in Greco-Roman uh society um, the mind and the spirit were revered. Then the teachings of Plato was that anything of the mind and the spirit is good and holy and to be uh, respected and honored, right? And anything that is of material, like the body and the earth and creation, all that is evil. And so you can do what you want to with it. And they did. So if you want to live an immoral life, big deal. doesn't matter because the body is irrelevant anyway, right? And when a person dies... That's good because what that means is the soul and the mind, the spirit that's trapped in your body can be freed. It can escape, right? Now, if you lived a really good life, then the soul and the, and the spirit goes to be up to the enlightened area with where God is, right? But if you didn't live a life that was good enough, then your bot, your mind will get trapped in another body, and then you can see where the uh, basis of reincarnation would have come from. Right, so it comes right out of that. So anyway, that's what was going on. So there's no in Gnosticism. The idea was was that the intellectually elite had secret knowledge. They would read the Bible and they could read between the lines, and there were numbers in the Bible that they thought, oh, these are special numbers. And there's special symbols in there. And so what we're going to do is we're going to interpret the Bible in light of that rather than the Bible being interpreted of itself. And some of the stuff that we're seeing today in terms of uh, critical theory is that it's coming right out of that same idea, that same uh, philosophy. And so that's kind of the approach I'm taking is that in terms of how we respond as Christians, to all the things that are going on societally, how do, what do we do with that? It's not going to go away. Now, maybe it'll eventually implode in and on, on itself, and maybe there'll be some of that. But in the meantime, 
There's a lot of people, particularly younger people today, that are being swayed by it and that there's an, a certain appeal to it. And uh, we encounter it, okay? If you don't encounter it directly, like in your job, you'll see some of the stuff that I put on paper here. Uh, in the military, in medical, in counseling, in social sciences, um, in schools, um, there's a lot of push being uh, directed toward it. And even within Christendom, there is. So so we need to say, okay, what what is it that we're going to do? How do we... How do we respond to it? And uh, so that's the point of this. Okay, does that does that help a little bit, Armin? Oh, wow, that's the best thing I ever heard. Yeah, yeah, Max. So, uh, how does, does the Gnostic beliefs and the secret knowledge, uh, does, is that the foundation for the groups, the Illuminati and the Masons, the ancient Mason groups? It probably is because there is this sort of idea that if you are, if you know the secret knowledge and other people don't, then you're already at a higher enlightened place than everybody else. And if everybody else wants that, they have to join your club. They have to join your group and go through the, you know, all the stuff that you go through to get to it. All right. Now, I would say, again, particularly from the Mason's point of view, not everybody who's a Mason buys into all that. Okay. Because there's a lot of people that are Masons because, like in their whole family, everybody was a Mason. And so now you're a Mason. Um, or because there was some economic benefit to it in some small towns, you know, if you're a Mason, then you get business. And if you're not, well, then you should move. I mean, you know, that's how that is. And so it, 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 that's always been kind of a sticky space for Lutherans, at least for Missouri Synod, because we look at what people believe. We say, well, show us your doctrine, show us your, your statements of belief, show us your, your sacred writing, so to speak. And we look at it and we go, oh, oh, no, 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 not good, not good, not good. And so then that's historically why uh, Missouri Senate has always been opposed to uh, Masons. But that's not necessarily uh, true in terms of all Christendom. Does that? Yeah, good. Awesome. Okay. So Gnostic influences. Uh, I had some last week, and this is a little bit of a restatement of some of them. Okay. So the true self is you as opposed to the biological sex that you were born into. Are we hearing anything about that today? Yeah, see, so this is, so again, in Gnosticism, the whole point was the idea of the authentic you or the true you versus the decoration, okay? And so again, the intellectually elite would, would say, well, we know what the true self is. The true self is not uh, necessarily how you were created. So see, it's, it's, you could look at it and say it's kind of a mockery, isn't it, of, of, uh, of, of, of God's creation, right, in terms of how you were put together. All right, number two, or point E, the conventional authority is oppressive and systemically racist and should be burned down. It's kind of interesting. Do you remember back when Martin Luther King did his I Have a Dream speech? Do you remember that? And in that uh, in that sermon, he uh, preached this idea that he would look forward to the day when a man was not judged by the color of his skin. That's all different now. That's all different now. Because now the emphasis is on the idea that the color of your skin matters more. So there has been a reversal, which I think is in part is confusing to a lot of us that grew up with the emphasis on... Uh, on the idea that we become colorblind. Have you heard that phrase before, colorblind? So you, you're looking at a person as a person, not as the color of skin or the nationality or all those kinds of things. And it seems like the pendulum has swung way to the, way to the other side. Um, the next one, there's no such thing as reverse racism. Have you heard of that before, reverse racism? What is that? What does reverse racism mean? Because they're saying it, it doesn't exist. It's where racism goes both ways. So if that I as a white person can be racist toward some a person of color, but what it says here is that the person of color cannot be racist toward me. So it's a it's a bit of a double standard in that sense. Okay? The scriptures ascribe sin to everybody, not just to certain uh, certain races. So um but the reason why it's stated that way is because um, 
because when you are oppressed, then you're being oppressed by the oppressor. So the oppressor is the one who is the racist one. And if you return that in like mind, you, because you are the, the oppressed, you are merely protesting. Okay, so that's why you get this. You, you look at it and you think, well, how come if it's true for me, it's not true for you? Well, that's the reason why. Okay, yeah. Yeah, white men are kind of taking the hit. Have you felt the hit, Brian? Have you felt that? No, it kind of is. So it's any, it's anybody who is perceived as being a victim of the power base that white that white men are proposed to uh, hold, and it's white men of a certain age. So it's not you know all white men people. It's uh, well, it's like you and me, Brian. We would fit into that uh, category. Um, uh, and so anybody it could be women, women of color, women of color of uh, gay or lesbian, women of color. So so one of the ironies of this is is that the more boxes you can check on yourself as a marginalized person, the more uh, benefit you derive from it, because that means that you're being victimized at a uh, at multi level. Okay, and one of the things that we've learned about life in America is that if you feel like you're a victim, you have a lot of power because all you have to do is go on social media and say you're a victim of somebody. And you will have a kajillion people in the world who will say, we agree with you, and so are we. And let's go get somebody for it. Right? I heard on the radio the other day, a professor. Um, a professor, yeah. But uh, he's now saying that if you are, you have two parents, Yeah, it is the so. What's under attack is tr the traditional family and traditional marriage. So uh, one man, one woman. You know, if you if you preach it, in some countries like Sweden and places like that, if you preach it, you're going to jail for that. Okay. So the but the biblical mandates are what's under attack, and the, what's designed is to get people to um, to discount the Bible. Okay, that, at least from a spiritual point of view. There's probably other reasons, too. Yeah, Eddie? The contradiction is that in rural spaces alive and well. Yeah. And some of the most powerful institutions practice Yeah. Right, Garber does, yeah. Not accepting lives. Yes. That's right. Yeah. It's, it's there, but nobody will admit to it. Isn't that, isn't that the funniest thing? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Now, the, here's the thing. Does racism exist? Yeah, of course it does. It, it's just kind of human nature, I think, that what happens is when you, when you call everything racist, eventually what happens is nobody takes it seriously anymore. And that's kind of what's happening, is that... Um, that we don't see it for, for what it is. We, we need to acknowledge it. We need to still do the best we can, particularly from a Christian perspective, to make sure that we are uh, not guilty of that and that we're not going down that, going down that path ourselves. But um, I think the, 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 those that are well-meaning in this attempt to uh, awaken us, kind of the woke idea, the, the awakenness of it, um, is that it's probably going too far and it's being uh, jammed down people's throats. And that's not hardly ever a good way to try to do things. Okay, cancel culture is a logical response to anyone that preaches hate. And hate is defined as messaging that denies my truth. So it comes out of relativism, which basically says, your truth is your truth and my truth is my truth. And how dare you say that my truth is wrong? Okay. And there is no such thing as absolute truth, so forget about the Bible. That's kind of the, this is the clash that uh, Christians have with uh, that, uh, that idea. And then finally, critical theory then is the correct lens through which history, the Bible, and culture should be interpreted and then corrected. So it's not just to say we'll interpret it or understand it, but now we need to correct all of that. Um, I think I introduced to you a, a a while back, a word called presentism. Presentism. Have you run across that? Present. Presentism. Okay. Present. 
presentism. Okay, that word right there. Okay, what that word is means is that we judge the past on the basis of how we feel about things today. So if we think that our forefathers owned slaves, we should discount them. Because today we would say we'd be very um, sensitive to people that were subject to slavery, even though in the days of George Washington, for example, that was pretty common. It didn't make it right, it just made it common. So it's just that the idea that what we're going to do is judge the heroes of yesterday. And so, you know, he's already dead, he's already in heaven. So what will we do is dismantle his statues. We'll take the statues down and we'll put them somewhere. And then anything that's named after him will change the name. Okay? So it's basically taking history and sort of putting it in a warehouse somewhere with the Ark of the Covenant and other things that are in there from Indiana Jones. So, you know, it's just that idea. But see, that's where that's coming from, okay? Um, and so you think for a second, what happens if you remove all the icons of our history and then you also don't teach our history anymore other than through the lens of um, what was wrong with it? What happens? You get a whole generation growing up, how? They don't know about it. So we were talking about this the other day in staff. Uh, you know, uh, Jody Sorensen, she works with the USO in, uh, at uh, DFW. So she's very much always with uh, veterans and that kind of thing. And we were talking about 9-11 uh, and how, what a, you know, horrific kind of thing that was for all of America. Well, one of our uh, younger workers said that he was had he hadn't heard anything in school about 9/11 until he got into high school. So kind of an interesting sort of thing, isn't it? We see a lot of us are out of touch with that. We're not, you know, we're not in the education field, we're not in any of that. And you think, wow, what happens if things don't get taught anymore? Now, I've been arguing for the idea in here and in the church that we cannot stop teaching the stories. We cannot stop teaching the accounts of God at work in history and God at work in, in people's lives. We cannot stop doing that because if we do, then we're raising a whole generation that has no idea that Moses was not on the ark. <laughs> they don't, they think. Yeah, they don't. And it's like, you're preaching a sermon and you have to spend like five extra minutes explaining who the person is instead of just saying, hey, yeah, just like Moses, you know. So so there is some real concern here. Now, again, I can't do personally that much about what goes on in schools, public schools, right? I can't. But we got it here. And so we have to we have to keep being mindful of that, right? And if you have kids at home or you have grandkids at home, you know, don't hesitate to to get the little visits with God out if that's what you have to do because how are they going to know? And if we don't do that, then that's on us. Okay? Yeah, Carl. Point, point H. Says, don't deny my truth. Point H. Oh, H. Yeah, H. Yeah. Oh, H. Don't deny my truth. Okay, it says, you know, my truth is my truth and your truth is your truth. Right, yeah, uh, sure. But then point I, it says, I'm going to teach you my truth, and you better accept it. <laughs> I know. So it's I know. Yeah. Well, if we take truth out, then, you know, as humans, we abhor a vacuum. So if you take the truth out uh, and you reward it, then what can happen is then your truth sounds pretty good. You know, hey, your truth will benefit me. It's a tail wagging the dog. It kind of is, isn't it? Kind of is. All right. So we want to go. I want to take you into the scriptures because, again, um, it it would be very easy and tempting to look at this and feel totally hopeless. Like, oh my gosh, you know, the world is doing the thing, and what am I going to do? I'm this little ant person, and I I don't have any uh, I don't have any recourse. Well, guess what? John has been dealing with this for centuries. And the good news is, is that we have his record. We have the, the word of God that ultimately is what transforms people and changes people's hearts and minds. 
And maybe it's just that idea, as Richard pointed out last week, the little star, like starfish. I keep wanting to say starship for some reason, you know. <laughs> Ooh, um, the uh, yeah, the 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 starship. Yeah, this is a starship story. Yes, uh, you know where the guy on the beach throws one uh, starfish back in the ocean at a time, and maybe that's what it is. Okay, but doggone it, I think that's what if that's what it is, and that's what it is for us, and that's what we're going to do. Okay, so John writes in uh, chapter two of First uh, John. Dear friends, I am not writing you a new command, but an old one, which you have had since the beginning. The old command is the message you have heard, yet I am writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in him, that's Jesus, and in you, because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. Now, I want to focus in on that last phrase. Prove it. The true light is already shining. John is writing this when there is intense persecution for Christians. He already is out on exile in the Isle of Patmos. So he's not, you know, doing missionary work other than on this rocky outcrop. So he's already been the victim of the persecution at the hands of the government for preaching a gospel that did not include worship of Caesar. That was the whole point for him, right? So the true light is already shining. So I just want you to make the case to me that the true light, which is Jesus, right? That the true light is already shining. Because this is present tense. It's not future. Make the case to me. Convince me. Max. That's right. That's right. As we studied in the book of Revelation, remember that like five years ago when we did that? <laughs> the the victory's already won, but the devil is interested in taking as many down as he can. And he'll do it in ways that are attractive to people by, t- by tapping into what is already a vulnerability and a weakness we have. We love learning the newest thing. Right? We love that. Oh my gosh. Who isn't enamored with the next iPhone coming out? Hmm? I'm asking the wrong group. I should go next door. I should go, and then I should go to every single class of kindergartners all the way up to fourth graders and ask them, who, what is the favorite thing you want? Oh, I want that iPhone, right? We love the idea of that new thing. It's new, it's shiny, right? It glistens. I still am. Oh, I did figure out how to turn off my flashlight. I wanted to tell you that. Remember last week? Remember last week I couldn't figure it out? And then good old Pastor Lee came to my rescue on Monday. He said, all you have to do is just push it. Oh, I was swiping it, you know. And then finally I had to just turn the thing off in order to get the flashlight off. So at the Ranger game, they had this point at which, you know, when... uh, Chapman comes in to close the game. They turn off the lights and they say, everybody turn on your lights. Oh, I was so proud. I knew how to do it. (laughs) And then I knew how to turn it off. Oh, what a victory. Yeah. Okay, so we love that. See, we love that. And the devil would like nothing more than to say, man, you are missing out. If you just hang around this old Bible that's written 2,000 years ago and half of it was written by guys that, you know, they're dead and, and you don't need that stuff. You need this new thing. Man, we love that idea, right? And so the devil, he is having a great time with this. But as John is pointing out, he's already, he's already defeated. He's already defeated. And we got to hang on to that and remember that that in a world that seems to be very dark and filled with despair isn't. But it's hidden. See, it's hidden. Because where does that light shine? In here. It's in your heart. And once you got it in you, it isn't going anywhere. You might, but it isn't. And that's the beauty of it. Yeah. My, uh, I have a Bible study with a group of friends, and we're doing a Priscilla Shire study right now called The Honor of God. I'm not familiar with her, but yeah, go ahead. Yeah, well, she's, her father... Tony Evans came out of the church. Oh, I know that name. I do. Okay, gotcha. Um, and that's kind of the, the, the lesson that we had this week talked about people either they believe in Satan and they're terrorized yeah. 
or they don't realize that he's with us enough. So after that he is there, like mm -hmm. you said, the victory's won, but he's always there trying oh, to yeah. get you. Oh, yeah. So that's what's been really good about the study is to realize when these things come up, you don't have to be afraid. You just remember you have the light. It's God. The victory's already won. So that you don't get distracted because a lot of it is distraction. When you're focusing on the crazy stuff that goes on in your life, you get all in the politics and all that kind of stuff, you're losing sight of where you need to be because that's not really the battle. It's you living your life the way you should, yeah. doing what God says. Yeah, but it's, it's not to say that we should be ignorant of what's going on politically. No, no, because, no, no. Yeah, okay, no, so as long as we're saying that, because good citizenship and, you know, right. be a patriot, but not a nationalist, you know, all that kind of stuff is confusing as all get up. Well, we, even, we even talked about that. Like, there are times when you have to be vocal and forceful, mm -hmm. sure. but not everything. So right. it's kind of, like you said, it's kind of like yeah. a balancing. But I never really thought of it. Like, I was more in the other category. Like, mm -hmm. yeah, you know, see, he's not always around. I was like, yeah, kind of just a little more than I can. So yeah, I was he's, more aware. He's way more sophisticated today, I think, yeah. in some ways. But see, that's, again, that really fits in with kind of how we think. Yeah. You had your hand up or not. Well, it's okay if you didn't. I just didn't know. <laughs> Actually, in the answer to your question, through yeah. life is always trying. You need to ask us to prove it. Yeah, prove it. So these are my four points. Come on, prove it. Okay. <laughs> the peace I have in my heart, the good deeds that I do, the response I see in other people when they catch me doing it. Yeah. And the fact that I'm not afraid. There you go. No fear left. Yeah. So I think that's pretty good. Yeah, that actually was which of the readings was that in this morning? Do you remember which one that was? I think it was in the where it talked about the idea that that we're not frightened. Was that a reading, or was that a, one of the prayers? What was that? We're not frightened by the by what's all going on around, and that this is the sign of. Do you remember that? Do y'all remember that? I remember that. Why am I the only one remembering that? <laughs> I wasn't there. Oh yeah. Well, now that you, when you see it, you'll go, "Aha! I know what he's talking about." Yeah, yeah, that happens. So I was also, you know, during the sermon, Pastor Coleman referred to which house would you want? Uh -huh. You know the the $400,000 house in the $100,000 neighborhood. And I thought, and, and everybody picked that one, and I thought, boy, I wonder what the taxes are then in that. <laughs> That's what I was thinking. I bet you all those people living in the $100,000 house are thinking, oh, great, thanks a lot, man. You're the one raising all the taxes for us, right? Yeah, so see, my brain, who knows where that goes. All right, so the true light is already shining. It's hidden in the world. You look around the world and you go, oh, no, it's not. Jesus is not, has not won. And the Bible says, oh, yes, he has. Yes, he has, because it's in us, right? We hope and would like the idea that it's leaking out of us, right? But sometimes the world says, if you let it leak out of you, uh, we're going to put, put you down, okay? We're going to put you away, okay? That sometimes is what happens. All right, well, let's go to the next word. So verse 9. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in darkness. Anyone who loves her brother or sister lives in the light, and there is nothing in them to make them stumble. But if anyone but anyone who hates a brother or sister is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness, they do not know where they are going because the darkness has blinded them. So a little Greek here, the word hate and the word love, the way he's using it. Okay, the word hate is the word misson, which means to detest, show contempt for, abhor, or be emotionally dark toward that person, kind of in not just your actions, but also your thoughts and your attitudes toward someone else. Okay, that's what that's the way hate is used biblically here. And then love is the word agapeion, which means to love someone unconditionally and to act in their best interests, okay? So there's not just this, oh, gushy, lovey sort of thing toward somebody, but it's actually showing it in a way that uh, might end up sacrificing your own interests for the sake of their interests, okay? So that's what agape is. All right, so let's look at the next page. Have you seen this pyramid before? Anybody ever seen this before? Okay, this is actually... This is an actual sort of model that's being used now 
to determine and define what hate is in all the different fields where the um, teaching on anti-racism has um, taken hold. So in the medical, social sciences, in law, education, um, military, uh, schools, everywhere. Okay? This is the model that's used. And the reason why I'm bringing it out is because, oh, and, and business too as well. Um, the reason why I'm bringing it out is because this is how the world is defining hate. It isn't, it, it's not biblical in the sense, uh, there's some probably some biblical application to some of it, but but it actually comes from the Anti-Defamation League, which, Defamation League, which was a anti's, uh, people that were um, persecuting Jewish people. Um, they came out with this, and this ca it came out a long time ago, but it has been sort of co-opted now by the people that are um, promoting the critical theory and in particular the anti-racist, uh, anti-racism movement and the books on white privilege and all those kinds of things, okay? So again, um, I, maybe you've seen it before. Even if you haven't seen it, this is the model that's being used, okay? So you can be aware that everything in there is considered hate. So whether you are guilty of things at the top, which would be criminal, right? It's totally criminal. Maybe even that second tier might be uh, totally criminal, right? Maybe a little bit on the third tier might, right? But even if you're at the bottom, which is a lot of implicit kinds of stuff, not necessarily intentional, but implicit, that you are just as guilty of hate if you do these things at the bottom as you would if you do those things at the top. The only difference is you wouldn't go to jail for the things at the bottom necessarily. Now, what has been added to this that is not on here are the... Um, Discrimination. So if you look at the middle part, discrimination and anything below it having to do with sexual orientation or gender identity, that's been added to that. Okay? So an example would be if someone comes to you and says, my preferred pronouns are different than the he, him that I was raised with or am, have the biology of. Okay? Um, I'm guilty uh, and, and then I misgender you. In other words, I say that I was born a male, but I identify as a female, so you need to call me her, okay? If you refer to me as him, then, and you discriminate against me in some way, then you are guilty of hating me, okay? So it's, it's sort of like, it's not really like there's a, uh, a graduated sort of uh, deal, like 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, it's not like that. It's either you are or you aren't, okay? And so that's the way hate is being used and the way it's being portrayed. Okay, now, now if we look at some of these things, I think, we, I think we ought to look at some of these things because some of these things you and I would say, yeah, these are sin. These are sin like, like bullying. That's, that would be sin or ridiculing somebody. That would be sin, wouldn't it? And name-calling somebody and making fun of them and, and shunning them, you know, and, and, social, and dehumanizing them. You know, biased kinds of stuff. That would be, we would say that sin. But this terminology does not use the word sin. It uses the word hate. Okay? So it's a particular kind of sin if you want to think about it. Um, think about it that way. The one that's a little harder to, uh, to look at or at least to figure out what to do with is the bottom one, which are the biased attitudes. Stereotyping. Um, insensitive remarks, fear of differences, non-inclusive language. You know what that is? That's like the pronoun stuff. Okay. Um, if uh, if I if you say to me the pronoun that you want and I don't do it, okay, then I'm excluding you, and that's a terrible thing. I would be hating you. If I say that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven, I'm excluding half the world. That's hate, and you can see then where. The Bible would be a document of hate. At least that part of it would. Now, there are some people that say, well, we'll just take that part out. Well, they do, that's how they do it. Well, if the Bible contains the Word of God, so that couldn't possibly be something that a loving God would say, right? So we'll just take that out because it was probably written by men anyway, white men oh, over 40. They probably were one of the ones that wrote that. Okay? So it's just, it, it's just, it's a, it, it's the attempt to take what is seen or viewed as 
what is fair and right and then interpret the Bible in light of that rather than letting the Bible interpret itself. Okay. So that's, this is the complexity of what's, uh, what's going on. Okay. Any thoughts about this? Like, again, if you haven't seen this, okay, that's all right. No, I hadn't seen it either, but I mean, I had seen it, but I hadn't really actually studied it, but this is what is the basis for a lot of what you read about in, uh, in the news and all have people having conversations about so here, Dennis, and then Richard. Yeah, this is pretty interesting, and, and I could compare that with we're hearing a lot about hate crimes. Hate crimes, yo, yes, yes. So that's where that that the hate, the idea of hate crimes, used to be uh, burning down a church uh, that was a black church in the South. That's what most of us would say. Oh, yeah, definitely hate crime. Okay. But that definition now has been broadened, and this would be the basis of that, okay? Now, again, what is considered legally or criminally hate is probably a little different. But in terms of whether or not you can keep your job, this is what's determining that. If, you're, if the company that you work with says that you have to go to anti-racist training, you'll see this or whatever version of this is. And again, I think on some level, it probably is the desire to be inclusive. It probably is that. But see, the problem with a problem with this is that that approach is based on resentment and anger rather than on forgiveness. And so if if the approach that you're mandated to take is something that says everything is wrong and the way to remedy it is to burn it down then that's not going to help it that's not going to help anything at all because there's no, nothing transformative that occurs what is it that transforms people's hearts the gospel even not even the law does the law doesn't transform your heart but the gospel does okay and so again the messaging that comes from us as christians in terms of how we live it and in terms of how we preach it is that we get the opportunity that's why my friend dale meyer who used to be the uh, uh president of uh, Concordia Seminary, he said, hey, it's a great time to be the church. <laughs> I love that approach. And I hate that approach, yes. <laughs> yeah, let's see. Oh, Richard, yeah. I'm curious, okay, you published this, The Pyramid of Hate. Yeah. Where's the other side? Yeah, the, the other side? Well, I mean, I'll call it The Pyramid of Love. Yeah. Oh, yeah, there is a okay. one. Yeah. And we get to provide that, maybe. Huh? If, if, if there's not, that this, is, this is all bad. And actually, look at the last one. Mm -hmm. That basically, I think, was written down in Romans, all the sin and falling short. So yeah. we're all guilty down there. Absolutely, yes. So I thought that, you know, like, okay, so where's the reverse? Where do we put forgiveness and hypocrisy? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, here's a great thing about hypocrisy. I know you didn't think there was one, but there is. When is it safe to admit that you are a hypocrite? When are you most likely, think about this, when are you most likely to admit the truth that you're a hypocrite? Is it when somebody is shoving it in your face saying you're a hypocrite and how terrible you are and boy, what a creep and crummy person you are? Or is it when you know you're forgiven and loved? You ever think about that? See, because when you know you're forgiven and when you know you're loved, you lose nothing in admitting the truth about yourself. You lose nothing. But if you don't have that sense, that, that, that grounding, that sense of that you're loved and you're forgiven, you cannot afford to admit that you're a hypocrite. You lose too much. Okay? And so, see, that's the kind of thinking that we need to have about this. I, has the Christian church in history ever been hypocritical? Has the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod in its history ever been hypocritical? Yes, we have our own skeletons racially that nobody likes to talk about, but they're there. We are hypocrites too. But when you're loved and when you're forgiven, you can admit that. Isn't that great? Yeah, yeah, awesome. One of the things about this that's ironic is that first of all, is that you can't even disagree with them. 
You can't. No, no, you can't because that would be hate. Yeah. Just like the fact, like for example, one of the, I finally figure out how to explain my feelings with LGBTQ or gender It's like how an Orthodox Jew would think about eating meat with water. You shouldn't do it. It makes you dirty, but it doesn't make you evil. Okay, there you go. This is awesome. Who who thinks of these things? You are awesome. I mean, that's just, I guess that's how I thought of it. Yeah, no, there's a logic there. Like that's that's probably going through. Yeah. I still love you. Yeah. I'm Christian, I'm called to love everyone. Yeah. But can I not have an opinion on how I think the right way you can live is? Apparently not, according to this. Okay. And your mother's dying right here. That's just really... That, I don't know which is better, listening to you or watching her. I don't know which is better. That's awesome. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Mickey. I'll put you on the spot here. Okay. What, what do you think? This looks like an organized, concerted effort from many directions. What do you think the ultimate goal of these leaders that are promoting this is? Well, I, again, I, um, See, I'm looking at, I don't look at it politically, but I'm aware there's a political agenda here, okay? I look at it theologically and spiritually. So from that from that lens, I would say that there's a concerted effort here to undermine and destroy the Bible and Christianity. That's what I would say, okay? And I would apply that then to the evil one and say, we're in the... We are in the last days, and this is a real effort. But again, this was going on in John's day, too. So it's not like you can just say, okay, any day now, although we would live that way. Okay? But I do wonder, where's all the money coming from to fund all this? This this is the kind of stuff that I, you know, um, and it's not necessarily one person that could be state-sponsored in terms of other and other countries who would seek to undermine uh, our, you know, um, position in the world could be. I don't know. I'm not that smart. Yeah, um, Nancy, I'm going to try to call people that haven't spoken already because this is generating a lot of interest here. So, according to this list, I've read about people who were arrested for thinking, not out loud, for being hate. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there there have been reports of people who would go outside of Planned Parenthood buildings and would would appear to be praying or thinking hard, and then would get arrested for that or at least detained for that. I don't know that anybody's ever been like persecuted or prosecuted for it, but just the whole idea of it is that again, if you can pray and look like you're having fun. I think that's the whole key right there, is that then no one would ever accuse you of praying because, you know, you're having fun. You know, get a yo-yo, just do a yo-yo. That would be one way to do it. Yeah. Just what you thought was like there in Yeah, I. It's kind of telling, isn't it, that that verse, the last part of verse eleven, they do not know where they're going because the darkness has blinded them. Right? When you don't have the light, then you are susceptible to anybody who comes along and shines a light and says, "I'm the light. I'm the light. I'm the light." And again, that that was going on in John's day because there were all these false uh, teachers going around. So I'm the Messiah. I'm the Messiah. And Gnosticism promoted the idea but it did it in a more sophisticated way it didn't do it in this sort of sort of primitive kind of way and so that appealed to the intellectuals that were a part of the university systems of uh, the greco-roman world and to some degree you could probably say that was harvard and yale of those days that was the ivy league of those days you could argue that so um that was a uh uh, that was part of it. Okay, I want to get it to the very end here, which will be impossible because we have like three minutes. So notice now, notice what John does. He 
he he goes into some specifics in terms of what is needed or what where the comfort and the hope is. He says, I am writing to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, dear children, because you know the father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God lives in you and you have overcome the evil one. Children, fathers, young men. Kind of interesting. He didn't have to talk to women because they already knew all this stuff. Right? <laughs> right? Right? Isn't that right? Women knew this. Hello. I mean, how many times does the Bible have to talk to guys about stuff that's obvious? Right? So there you go. All right? So why is it important that children know that their sins have been forgiven? Why is that? Why does that? Why is it important for a kid growing up in a family to know that his sins have been forgiven? Why is that important? Because forgiveness defines his identity. He is a forgiven child of God. And and when you know that as a kid, that secures you all through your life. But if you grow up and you don't know that as a kid and you never experienced it as a kid, then there's always a question mark. Always a question mark. So we push that in our church and we push that in our families. And that's why. Yeah, Bob. I would just like to add that John, when he was writing, always referred to his parishioners and his children. Yeah. It, it, so he's not just young people, right. but all of them. Right. Now, I'm identifying it as children in terms of the foundation that gets set in childhood, but you're totally right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you're totally right because the reality is if I grow up with it as a kid and carry it with me all the way through life, right? Okay, so I agree with you, even though I disagree with you. So. <laughs> then he says, fathers, you know him. So again, this no word. See, no word was a trap word for the Gnostics. Because when they talk about no, they're talking about intellectual enlightenment. Study, learning, you know, all that kind of stuff. But when the Bible talks about no, it's using the Hebrew word yada. Now, how many of you grew up with the King James Version of Genesis? And Adam knew his wife, and she conceived and bore a son. What does that word no mean? Yada. Had sex with. Carnal knowledge. You know, that's good. So when he talks here about fathers, you know him. It's an intimate intimacy with God. And there isn't any way around that except in the Word. Right? That's it. So you know him. And that is part of a father's role in terms of raising kids, helping raise kids that know that they're loved and forgiven. And then young man, you have overcome. And so he, he repeats it like a, it's like a, like a double sort of emphasis, like one of those things where it's like, well, if you didn't hear me the first time, I'm going to say it again, right? So then children, you know the father. Again, it's adults and little kids, right? Fathers, you know him. And then this last part. Young man, you are strong because what? The Word of God lives in you. What does that mean? To have the Word of God living in you. What does that mean? You are immersed in it. You, you know it in here, but you know it in here, right? And it doesn't mean you're perfect. You know, we already went through the hypocrisy thing. We already know that. But it's just that there is an intimacy with it and a grounding that occurs from it. And when you're grounded in it, you're not threatened by a little idea that you might be a sinner. Yeah, Max. Uh, the Holy Spirit connected to the Word too. Yeah. Also oh, yeah, because the in other parts of the Bible talks about that, that in fact, in Ephesians, the sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. So you have the intimate connection of the Spirit working through the Word. Uh, oh, absolutely. Yeah, 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 yeah. Perfect. Okay, so guess what? We're going to pick up right here next week. Is that okay if we do that? Is that all right? I kind of kind of got on a little soapbox, you know, here. So time zooms by when that happens. But we'll pick it up here. And then uh, I'm kind of thinking that probably, this is just sort of me thinking out loud here, is that um, I kind of want to end the How to Respond series 
and move into a book of the Bible kind of thing. And then obviously we're going to be covering some of the same stuff, obviously. And then maybe later come back to how to respond to. Um, would that be okay if we kind of do that? Okay, so I don't know yet what that book of the Bible will be. Probably a short one. Kind of, I'm kind of in the mood for a short and quick, you know, kind of idea. Even though I know it lasts two months when I do it. So, all right, well, let's, uh, let's close with prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for our time together. Thank you for the way that your word speaks to us in ways that just perfectly fit the day and age that we're living in. Yes, Lord, these things were written so long ago, but what that proves is that really when it comes down to it, we human beings haven't changed all that much. We still have the same struggles. We still deal with sin. We still are fighting the evil one. We're still doing all those things, and we think that the day and age that we live in is so much different than the way it was before. But all that means, Lord, is that your word speaks truth to us. It, Your word is the truth, and the reason it is is because you are the way, the truth, and the life, and you are the Word. So help us to be comforted by that. Help us to be empowered by that. Help us to know that we're loved and we're forgiven and that that's what drives us every single day as we deal with each other. So watch over us this week, dear Lord. Be with us.